0: This is episode 48 of the Get In My Garden podcast, and I'm Aaron Moskowitz. Today we meet mushroom educator and entrepreneur Wyatt Bryson. He talks about the development of his fungi-focused businesses, the other businesses and opportunities that currently exist in the market, how he is preserving knowledge and research for future generations, and how he is incrementally moving towards zero waste within his business. Wyatt talks about how much easier it is to add mushroom cultivation to your farm business nowadays and all the resources that exist within the mushroom growing community. Wyatt shares some secrets about how to establish wild mushrooms within your own backyard. And towards the end of the interview, we discuss how our human bodies and brains might be building a symbiotic relationship with fungi. If you like the podcast, subscribe to it wherever you listen from and check out Instagram at GetInMyGarden. If you've benefited from the information and guests I've featured, you can visit the website getinmygarden.com and sign up for my new email list, which will include freebies and favorite articles I've shared with my close friends, research and information I feel you would enjoy learning about that fits with the mission of the podcast, which is to inspire and connect people who are focused on making conscious decisions about how to live their lives in a healthy and meaningful way based on the knowledge given to us by previous generations who are so in tune with the earth and also by the bright minds in the science and technology fields that inspire our future. Feel free to reach out to me via direct message on Instagram or on the website. Let me know what you've personally been working on or about any feedback or questions you have about the show.
1: My name is Wyatt Bryson, and I am founder of Mycolab Solutions and Jewels of the Forest. Mycolab Solutions is our educational and laboratory side where we promote mushroom growing and education. And Jewels of the Forest is our farm name out in Occidental, California, in Sonoma County. And then it's also the name of our retail mushroom store where we sell all things fungi. And our primary you know, mission with Jewels of the Forest is to create healthy mushroom-based snack foods. So we currently make a mushroom jerky called Shroom Snack. And I'm happy to say that uh, we're in over 200 stores across the country. And it's a really great, healthy snacking option to uh, meat jerkies.
0: That's awesome. What's, can you describe it a little bit? So the texture of it and how you get it. Are they forage? Are they grown?
1: We use a organic oyster mushroom. We settled on the oyster mushroom because it's a relatively available mushroom. It's very healthy mushroom. And it really takes on the flavor profile of whatever we're infusing it with. Um, we keep our jerky more of a traditional hard jerky, so it's not really soft. Uh, you know, It does have quite a chew in the beginning, but it's it's really similar to that texture and feel of a traditional meat jerky. Jewels of the Forest uh, in our jerky is really what kind of helps fund and promote a lot of the educational services and other projects that we are trying to do with mushrooms.
0: Cool. Well, I'm curious about all of those. So, um, you're in California. There's kind of a much mushroom culture over there. Have Have you run into people who are like mycophobic? Also,
1: yeah, definitely. I think uh, our society in general is just kind of really waking up to the you know medicinal and magic properties of mushrooms, as well as having mushrooms in our everyday you know diets. Yeah, there's definitely people that you know are still afraid of mushrooms, uh, still very wary. But usually, they're only familiar with you know the the most common. Mushrooms like button mushrooms and uh, portabellas, which is just a bus- button mushroom itself. Mm-hmm. So you know, introducing them to these other wonderful mushrooms is is a good way to help bring it into the forefront of people's you know culinary choices. And uh, such much like oyster mushrooms are a great option that are easily readily available. And then uh, lion's mane is one I think is just amazing and, and one of my favorite mushrooms, both medicinally and Um, in our foods. And then you have your whole wide array of uh, wild picked mushrooms, chanterelles, belites, black trumpets, which is another one of my favorite mushrooms, morels. So, you know, there's a lot of mushrooms that are starting to become more, you know, people are starting to realize that there's a variety of, of these, you know, fungal foods out there.
0: Definitely. I mean, in the last few years, it's unbelievable what's become available.
1: Yeah, we work with a couple commercial pickers and stuff. And, you know, we try to get some wild mushrooms in our store when it's seasoned. Um, we usually uh, dry a lot and sell a lot, a lot of dried product just because they're shelf stable and mushrooms can, uh, you know, they can go bad fairly quickly, um, mm-hmm. if not properly.
0: Totally. So I think your mission was something like save the world one mushroom at a time. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's for Mycolab Solutions, and then our motto for uh, Jewels of the Forest is feed the world one mushroom at a time.
0: Cool. Yeah,
1: we really kind of focus uh, you know, both the companies on sustainability and just providing a, a healthier options for people. Mushrooms have been hailed as one of the most sustainable protein crops on the planet, and that's mainly because they you know, have a very low impact. They only require 1.8 gallons of water to grow one pound. They generate like 0.7 pounds of carbon dioxide, and they usually take about one kilowatt of power to grow one pound. They can be commercially farmed indoors or outdoors for certain species, and uh, you can really uh, do a vertical system too, which creates a very small footprint. And the best of all, they're growing on most agricultural waste so we're taking uh, byproducts, you know, that's usually getting burned or, or going into landfills. And we're able to, you know, alchemically change that into a healthy, great protein source uh, to feed people all over the world. Especially in uh, third world countries, they have a lot of programs now that are really encouraging people to start mushroom production. Like the National Mushroom Council of India is a great place to, to really find like low-tech methods. Um And all over the world. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's really neat. And, and, you know, for Michael Lab Solutions, you know, we really try to educate people on mushroom growing, teach a couple classes. We do a lot of classes for uh, schools and for kids. And then, you know, our YouTube channel is a big one. One thing I really like to do is because we're going to all these mushroom festivals and events, I really try to uh, film the talks and workshops, and then be post them on on YouTube for people to find for free, and be able to you know save this knowledge. And a lot of these great mycologists, you know, are are, are getting older. Uh, the great Gary Linkoff just passed away a year yes. or two ago, and you know I, I I just put a you know little thing about him talking at uh, the Tully Ride Mushroom Festival in 2017. And I have a full panel discussion on psilocybin as a therapeutic, past, present, and future. That was the name of the discussion.
0: That's awesome. So w- what's your YouTube station?
1: It's Michael Lab Solutions. Gotcha. And then our website for that is michaelladsolutions.com. And I have I haven't really done anything to that website in years. So it needs a remake. But on that, on our website, we have a great links page, which, you know, definitely needs to be updated. And there's a lot of information on where to buy spawn because that's pretty much uh, one of the starting points and barriers of entry to really growing mushrooms is, is getting the spawn, which is the seed mm-hmm. uh, that uh, contains the living fungi, the mycelium, uh, that will then produce your fruiting bodies, which are the reproductive organs or parts of the mycelium that we all know and love as the mushroom.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm kind of curious about all the other parts. So there are like products out there that they've, at least in Asian countries, they've used like the stem of the mushroom. And I know that there are other products that use the uh, medium that it was grown on. Is there potential there also for products?
1: Yeah, I mean, what we wanted to do because we have we have a really nice laboratory, a mycology laboratory, where we're able to produce mid-scale amount of spawn we, you know, we're starting out as kind of providing mycology lab supplies, like clean petri dishes or plates of agar for people to, you know, buy and then be able to start their own cultures, clean spawn or already myceliated spawn of different species, and kind of being on that back end of producing. And one of our programs and ideas before we kind of moved over to the food side was, really consulting and helping, you know, small time farmers and people that wanted to get into mushroom growing to and setting up their, you know, fruiting rooms and inoculation rooms for them. And then being able to provide like a plug and play system of already uh, made oyster mushroom bags or providing spawn and other substrates for them to, you know, then grow on their own. And then on the more of the business side, we would help with, packaging and we would all sell the product under one label therefore we could you know have like a co-op system of growers where people don't have to worry about the licensing and all that stuff to get food handling uh, permits for farmers markets you know we could all sell together and have pool our resources in um, getting into stores and and restaurants and and farmers markets
0: locally Uh uh-huh that sounds like a good idea
1: yeah and you know if anyone wants to pick up the mantle it's I think it's kind of a great model because you know the spawn and is one of the major uh, restrictions where you kind of really need a clean room and a sterile environment to produce and it can be quite expensive you know setting all those up so if we kind of take that out of the equation there's so many awesome techniques that have been developed now to where once you get the spawn or a liquid culture in a syringe you could really like do everything at home and not even really need like a, a clean room or sterile environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, basically like what my idea, I tried to really think about it in terms of how it's producing in nature. And um, we're trying to give the mycelium, the specific mushroom we want to grow, the best chance to survive and outcompete other fungi and, you know, bacterial and microorganisms in the environment. So, you know, that's where this uh, clean room and sterile technique comes in. And then, you know, at other parts, once you give it that foothold and it gets long enough, it should be healthy enough to kind of outcompete uh-huh. a lot of the contaminants.
0: Kind of reminds me of the, I guess it's, well, Peter McCoy's company now. I don't know how successful they are yet with the Spawn Box.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, my, uh, Peter is doing some amazing work. His new kind of venture is Myco Logos. And uh, it's, you know, kind of an education, more education side, which is really great. And um, I've even contacted him in the past to talk about kind of creating like a general curriculum and reproducible uh, educational tools uh, to help people teach classes and to, you know, get more people into mushroom growing. And so I think, you know, there's all sorts of people just like me teaching classes and doing stuff with mycology And, you know, it took me a long time to put together my slideshows and, you know, my information and the worksheets and stuff. And, you know, if there was kind of a curriculum standard that was created, I think it could help out a lot of people and give them the tools in a really quick and easy way to, you know, really help promote all over the world about this. And that's why I say like low tech methods like used in, uh, you know, India and Cambodia, Vietnam, Asia. They have a lot of these resources and uh, have kind of put them all together for us to learn pretty quickly.
0: That's awesome. I found just from doing my podcast that, I mean, most of the listeners, of course, are in the United States, Canada, the UK, because it's an English podcast. But on Instagram, most of the, well, a lot of the people, not most of them that are really interested in aquaponics or hydroponics are from India. They have such a humongous movement over there. Yeah. So I'm sure it's the same for mushrooms.
1: Absolutely. Because, you know, there's a lot of spawn producers over there and they could get spawn really cheap. And, you know, I mean, there is certain, you know, labor intensive aspects of it and labor's you know, relatively cheap over there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's a high, very nutritious uh, product, the mushrooms themselves that are produced, especially drying them out can give them a shelf life, you know, of a year or more. You can start to transport those to restricted areas, and out of restricted areas. If you know they start thinking about drying them more than just bringing fresh mushrooms in, or, or sending
0: them out. You know, makes sense. Plus, they have a huge population that doesn't eat cows.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a nonprofit that I was kind of working with a little bit, New World Hope, and they had a. I think their head, one of the offices is in San Francisco. And uh, they had a program in Cambodia where they were, you know, helping set up mushroom farms in these remote areas. And they found that, um, you know, there was a lot of support and people wanting to do it. But it wasn't until they really started investing in the infrastructure of transportation and being able to get the products out to, you know, the bigger cities and areas where they could sell it at market. I think it shot up like 600% of the applications for new farms and people wanting to grow mushrooms. Wow. And so one of the things I was mentioning to them was, well, how about if you start having them dry their mushrooms, you know, they're going to have a lot less spoilage because some of these truck rides in non-refrigerated trucks are like, you know, a day or so. And, and the mushrooms can just get, you know, really bruised and, and start to, to deteriorate in quality. Mm-hmm. Um, in the heat
0: and in, um, you know, makes sense. Well, I mean, of course, if there's a market for it, like for instance, coffee beans, yeah, it seems like that's been with huge companies needing to secure their coffee inventory. There are all these programs now, like all over the world and there's a massive amount of farmers focused on just coffee. So, I mean, if there's products or a distribution channel for the mushrooms, I'm sure that that's possible there too.
1: Absolutely. You know, and, and taking that model of an already successful program and then just tweaking it to apply it to a new crop or food source, you know, I mean, that's, that's the easiest way, you know, and that's how I kind of take an approach to a lot of things. Uh, Victor Schauberger, one of my favorite kind of, you know, ideas from him is like observe nature and copy it. And so, you know, observe what works and try to to make it your own and find the little parts that work for you in that situation and adapt to, you know, find better situations
0: that is not working. That's a great thing. So, can you give an example of that? At least how you're going to be working to imitate nature?
1: Yeah, so kind of like, you know, getting back to maybe having mushrooms in your garden more, you know, like looking at mushroom species that are naturally occurring in your area is a great place to start to try to bring them into your your garden or to help propagate them in your environment. So something like chanterelles or belites or uh, matsutakis, those are all mycorrhizal fungi. And so that basically means that they need a host plant to uh, survive and fruit. They're in a symbiotic relationship with the root systems of various plants and trees. So uh, they you know all of those mushrooms are not really commercially grown as of yet because we haven't really figured out how to keep that symbiotic relationship and grow them in a commercial setting. Mm-hmm. So one thing you can do out in nature is uh, you know, you say you go pick a bunch of them, You find ones that you don't want to eat because they have tons of bugs in it. Or when you're cutting off the stems, you got some dirt in there. Throw that in the bucket of water. Throw all the old ones, the funky ones, in a bucket of water. And what will happen is you'll create this uh, spore slurry. So the water has, you know, billions, millions of uh, spores in there. And then you could kind of, you know, go around to similar areas with similar trees and similar plants and environments. And you know, deposit that water, and you know, there's no guarantee that the mushrooms are going to expand to those areas, but it gives it a lot better chance. You
0: know, that's a really cool idea.
1: Yeah, and 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 once you become more familiar with the certain mushrooms that you're wanting to look at, you'll notice like they grow around these trees, and you know, they really like these kind of environments. So you can observe how they're growing naturally, and then be able to try to add the spores and, and spawn or whatever, the actual mycelium is one of the best ways to try to, you know, inoculate a new area. And uh, yeah, just find the spots that are similar with similar features and trees and, and try to do it. And, you know, it might take a couple of years, but you might start a whole new patch of chanterelles and who wouldn't love that, you know?
0: No kidding. <laughs> and what, and the plants around them are going to potentially thrive. So
1: Absolutely. You know, it's a beneficial relationship for the plant and the fungi. The plant is, you know, mycorrhizal especially are are helping to deliver water and nutrients, uh, help break down more complex nutrients in the surrounding soil so the plant can uptake it, you know, and then the plant's providing, you know, a root system, a base for the the mushroom to grow off of. It provides carbons and sugars and all sorts of other stuff that it's producing. Mm -hmm.
0: That's awesome. I guess in Japan, they eat tempeh, which is the fermented soybeans. Yeah. And I think some sort of fungus i don't know enough about it to know which yeah. strain but
1: koji i believe i think it's a koji fungus
0: okay so are there other i mean is there like a huge potential there for new products and proteins that are not fruiting bodies of mushrooms but grown in the medium in that way
1: you know i think what they're doing with like that and i think it was it natto. it's another oh natto natto yeah yeah no, those are uh, – they're introducing the fungi, and so is soy. I know soy is what they use koji for. So they're introducing it to ferment it. And, and, and like yeast, it's a fermentation process where it's changing the chemical composition. It's eating the sugars and producing other enzymes and, and, and changing you know, it, it to give it those flavors. And mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's funny you say that. So one of the projects we're working on right now for a new product is a, a mushroom-based – like fermented soy sauce alternative. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our products right now contain a soy-free tamari, but for people with celiac that, well, it's gluten-free, not soy-free, I'm sorry. So it's a gluten-free tamari. So, but a lot of people just don't want soy in their diets and, you know, we're creating this to, you know, we add salt to it. We have been playing around with a variety of different mushrooms, you know, and putting those all together to really create that umami flavor. That's
0: so perfect.
1: Yeah, that have umami, which is, you know, one of the, it's like the fifth flavor. It's very Mm -hmm. mouthwatering flavor. So
0: um, that's so awesome.
1: Yeah. And not only can we make a new product with it, but what our real intention is, is to be able to stop using the tamari and all of our products, use our own made product. And not only will we be able to get rid of soy, not have to, you know, buy soy, but it will also reduce our cost of production, you know, significantly because we can make this uh, relatively cheaper than buying bulk soy sauce you know, we try to look at our already, you know, production. So we, we, we have a a facility in Sebastopol and that's where our retail mushroom store is. So in our retail store, we sell, you know, a lot of local mushroom artists, other like mushroom medicinal products, art, all sorts of, you know, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we saw a lot of the Amadou hats and purses that are from Romania. Oh, cool. Yeah, so in our production facility, we, we were having a lot of waste from um, the small bits of the jerky and like the sesame seeds for the, our sesame flavor and the little chili flakes. So what we we haven't officially launched it to outside markets, but we sell it at flea markets on all the events we do. I mean farmers markets Uh, is uh, it's like a furikake mix uh, topping. Nice. So we use all the little bits from the jerky making process. We add some uh, nori seaweed and some seaweed flakes, and we have a whole new topping product. And it also reduces our waste by like ninety six percent. So it's a win win and really try to see how we could siphon off other and make new products out of our already existing, you know, manufacturing models and protocols.
0: So cool. Sounds like you've really thought it all through because so many of the people buying, well, I'd say actually just that so many large companies, they're desperately trying to become sustainable, so they're creating kind of like PR campaigns that seem sustainable but they're not really going in depth. So anybody who really looks into it will realize that it's not even doing anything a lot of the time. So what you're talking about is really all-encompassing.
1: Yeah, you know, we we, we want to really pre- uh, practice what we preach, and because mushrooms are already such a sustainable crop and growing off of, you know, an, a waste product themselves, you know, we, uh, we've taken that, you know, model of how mushrooms are, you know, growing, and we're trying to apply that to our, our business as well. Uh, one thing that's really important to us is moving over to 100% compostable pouch and packaging. Mm-hmm. We were actually featured at TED Talks 2019 in Vancouver this year. We created a half pack size with kind of a promotional label for the event, and we used all 100% compostable inks, labels, and uh, plastic pouches. Awesome. So um, it's something we really are, are trying to implement. You know, we're still doing some testing to see about the materials permeability and if we can retain our already like 12 month shelf life, which is really important for us. And also the manufacturer that we're working with is, you know, adding a zip feature, which we'd like to have and hanging holes and some other, uh, you know, uh, features like that. So hopefully, the, you know, uh, that will be in, in the works in the next year or so.
0: Awesome. Are there, I know that there are all sorts of materials being made with mushrooms. Do you think that there is going to be a uh, very traditional-looking plastic material made out of mushrooms at some point?
1: No, that's interesting. I don't know about like a plastic material, but, you know, mushrooms as a a working material, both, I mean, across a vast array of industries is really starting to emerge. There's an amazing company called MycoWorks, which is out of San Francisco, that's uh, producing a Myco leather, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. And so, yeah, I, I know those guys pretty well. And uh, hopefully sometime down the line, we'll kind of do some collaboration with them. Ecovative, I think they're out in New York, is another really amazing company. And they uh, produce all sorts of Myco-based packaging. Um, and I think they've played around with building materials uh, for commercial use.
0: Oh, yeah. So uh, they're doing like kind of a styrofoam kind of thing, huh?
1: It's basically like a substrate, a special substrate that they use. And the mycelium is growing throughout that. And, you know, you're forming it into the shape that you want and then um, letting it grow in these forms. And then when you uh, you just dry it out to make the mycelium inert and uh, then you have this very hard and very connected structure of uh, mycelium. Uh, that's very tough and it's hard to break I mean it's amazing some of these uh, mushroom like spawn blocks after they're done and we let them sit out in the sun if you don't break them up and they become really hard I mean it's a it's a a challenge to break them up sometimes wow yeah so I I, you know I think mushrooms and 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 fungi are are one of the most underappreciated miracles you know in nature and I am really excited to see that we're there's just this booming interest and fascination with them right now, and their potential to do make new materials, uh, new medicines, bio, micro remediation,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, food sources, all, all sorts of stuff. It, they're they're just amazing in, in what they can do.
0: And I so, agree. Well, yeah. so can you? I guess part of the mission of my podcast is to keep people kind of optimistic about what's what we're going to do to solve some of our problems. So I definitely have always come back to mushrooms and uh, how it's this expanding business realm. And I mean, can you say or speak to the optimism involved in how they're going to solve some of our problems? I mean, beyond just the Simple products
1: yeah, definitely so like uh, talking about more about like remediation there are a lot of scientific papers out there and there's a, been a lot of research done in the last couple years that really help support and really show that mushrooms can be a big big healer in denigrated environments. Oyster mushrooms is just a simple one that's a, a lot of research is done on that so I'll talk about that a little bit. You know, Paul Stamets in a few of his books, Mycelium Running, and, uh, you know, a couple others have talked about using oyster mushrooms to break down complex hydrocarbons. Um, And also how they do that is they produce enzymes that uh, will break down these kind of longer chains of hydrocarbons and then other microorganisms and plants and bacteria and other fungi in the soil will then start breaking those down even further so something that was very hard to break apart uh like a, you know a, a oil mm-hmm. uh is then kind of reduced uh, by the very powerful enzymatic processes that the mushroom is is producing and giving the rest of nature uh, the ability to do what it does naturally, another very interesting thing about mushrooms is they the fruiting bodies, the mushrooms that we see, um, they really bioaccumulate heavy metals and also radiation, and so mm-hmm. you know using them in places that uh, you know have a lot of heavy metals in them or have become irradiated, like around Fukushima or Chernobyl they will bioaccumulate that in the fruiting bodies. So you would then need to kind of pick up those fruiting bodies and remove them from the environment to actually take those unwanted things out of the environment. And so then finding out a place to actually dispose of them or, or how to To really get rid of it, because I mean, you know, what are you going to do with it? Just put it somewhere else, right? Or incinerate it, which is just going to put a lot of that stuff up into the air, which is going to fall back down. I mean, I don't know, you know? So, those are just kind of two great aspects for environmental reparation to use mushrooms for. Um, Generally, you know, they are the decomposers of life, they are the soil builders. So, Mm -hmm. well, they're. taking down breaking down uh you know logs sticks brush waste materials agro waste and being able to make those into soils and that's you know then can be used in compost i mean all, it's starting the cycle back over again you know
0: definitely that's actually one of my concerns when you like in some of the areas where there was like in in Cambodia there's was tons of war and all sorts of unknowns in the environment. And also in India, very polluted because of so many people. And I wonder, I guess they're going to have to grow some of those products indoors.
1: What's that for mushrooms and stuff?
0: Yeah. I mean, because that literally could just be pulling all the toxins out of their environment and putting it into their food, which could be a big problem. That's
1: true. That's a very good point. And that's why it's kind of important to make sure that, uh, you know, what you're starting with, what kind of substrates, you know, like if you're starting with substrates that of crops that are like heavily pesticide sprayed or you know uh, coming from environments that have a lot of toxic soils, there's a big chance that the mushrooms growing on those substrates are are going to acquire you know some of those stuff and also but also break down a lot of pesticides too. you know, so yeah, that is a concern. So you know it's kind of a good responsibility what we do for our supply chain. You know, is, is we see what kind of, you know, where it's coming from. Asia produces like, you know, not, I think somewhere around like 85, 90% of the world's oyster mushrooms. So, mm-hmm. us, you know, we, we, we actually have a lot of influence uh, from Thailand and the Thai culture. So where a lot of our flavor profiles kind of come from. And so we try to source them from there. Uh, we do source from China, but, uh, you know, they're producing so much over there. I've also looked uh, at some Eastern European countries where they produce a lot of oyster mushrooms. Looking where they come from too, and the quality of it. You know, we were using conventional mushrooms in the beginning, and you know, just the quality wasn't there. And so, we want to have an organic product, and we're we're currently, you know, getting our organic certification. Yeah, I just think it's better to support those kind of sustainability and organic production modes. So,
0: yeah definitely and can you test i mean have you done such that sort of thing when you just randomly test the mushrooms and make sure they're at the quality level you want
1: yeah i mean the you know our suppliers have given us white papers on, on testing on on the product that comes in and stuff you know we haven't you know taken the, our specific mushrooms that we're using into any sort of lab other than you know when we were testing our product for uh, stability gotcha. and stuff like that, but you know, I mean, it's not a bad idea. It can be kind of expensive. It depends on what kind of test you're trying to do and what we're really trying to find out. But yeah, I wish I could buy all of them locally. But uh, just the kind of oyster mushrooms we settled on, or, you know, there's not a lot of produced in the country, and if they are, uh, they're really expensive. We actually use a dried product, and then in uh, to begin with just because we're going around two to 300 pounds of dried mushrooms a month right now. So that would be like two to 3,000 pounds of fresh mushrooms that we'd have to be bringing into our facility, storing them, looking at a scaling our business. We decided to go with a, a dried product.
0: Fair enough, yeah. Well, so I guess another question I have, uh, hopefully you can answer, are there people specifically researching new mushroom varieties that, I mean, obviously for medicinal purposes, there's always somebody looking for new research there, but uh, new mushrooms for like environmental cleanup specific to certain, like maybe even Roundup, things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many amazing citizen scientists and mycologists popping up all over the country that are really dedicated to doing good and, and building a better world. I worked with Bay Area Applied Mycology, which is in San Francisco, and the San Francisco uh, Mycology Club. They, you know, are doing some cool work down in the city with micro-remediation. And um, actually, I gave them a culture of an oyster mushroom that we found up in Shasta County, in uh-huh. the town of McLeod. Uh, they have a mushroom festival there in May. And we, I named it the McLeod oyster mushroom and amazing mycologist and scientist, Alan Rockefeller found it and it was growing on, you know, kind of a softwood tree. And so it, we thought it would be an interesting one to cultivate. And I took it back to our lab and made some cultures and started giving this out. And so BAM was using it to, to digest cigarette butts and other oil mm. uh, contaminated substrates. And uh yeah, I haven't really seen what uh, what results have come out of that, but it it was a, a pretty hardy strain. Alan Rockefeller has uh, he does a trip down to Mexico, and uh, like Oaxaca, southern Mexico, there, and mm-hmm. he has published a few papers identifying new species of mycena. And I actually have a talk by him that was given at, uh, it's called Soma Camp, and it's in my hometown of Occidental in Sonoma County. And uh, it's an amazing, like, three, four day workshop festival camp out. And his talk was uh, Bioluminescent Mushrooms of Mexico, and it's a really great talk. So I need to get it up on YouTube. And he's, I think, he, him and a, a colleague had identified three or four new species of bioluminescent mycena down there.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: So there's all over the the country people doing and getting into mushrooms. You know, I um I, I really try to, you know, promote that. And um there's a couple people that uh I'm gonna be having up here soon that I'm we're gonna make some agar plates and make some spawn and I'm gonna teach them how to do it and they're gonna help me out. And um yeah. I want
0: to so awesome.
1: build more students, uh, you know, citizen scientists and my son, he's only four right now, but he's already helped me make spawn and I'm really going to get him into the lab soon and, and teach him sterile technique and have him do some transfers on, on agar. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm building the next generation of mycologists here.
0: So cool. It's just, Infinitely fascinating to learn about mushrooms, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: uh, you know, I, I've always kind of loved the sciences and, and um, always been very driven to have been an entrepreneur my whole life. And part of what I wanted to include in, in whatever ventures I, I was, you know, uh, embarking on was, you know, building a message of sustainability and trying to leave this planet a better place for my children and all the generations to come and so I, I was looking around. My friend uh, came and visited me in Hawaii, and um, he was talking about growing mushrooms, uh, kind of a, a different species than the most of the ones we've talked about this evening, and, uh, he, you know, I was like, wow, that sounds kind of cool, and I just started reading about mushrooms and mushroom growing, and I became really fascinated with them. Um, I mean, I had gone mushroom hunting many times when I was a kid. I live out in the woods, so I'd see them all around, but really understanding how regenerative they are for the environment really got me involved in them. And um, I was looking on Craigslist uh, for like a pressure cooker or an autoclave. And I found this lab that was going out of business. And uh, I went over there and basically like we filled up a flatbed with all this lab supplies for like, you know, under two grand. And I got like a flow hood and uh, just amazing autoclave. And and all the everything that I needed uh, tons of clean, sterile plastic agar dishes, and, you know, everything, glassware. So we started, I set it up in my room and we were growing oyster mushrooms in baskets uh, in the backyard in Hawaii. You know, it's a great humid environment. We had just like a little screen tent and growing just tons of oyster mushrooms and i uh, decided to move back to my family property and start a family and build a house and so I brought my whole lab over and we set it up in an an old uh building we had and that's our our lab now, so cool, so, yeah, you know, and
0: I've heard a lot of people talk about some sort of synchronicity with mushrooms, like maybe there is a consciousness there, and this is a completely different subject. but have you ever noticed anything like that where some sort of synchronicity happens? yeah.
1: I, I, yeah, definitely, like, you know, I mean, just being around them, you know, and, and just, I mean, you could go in there, and they're just starting to pin, and they're just like little teeny dots, and you come in, you know, like that night, and there's like an actual mushroom there, come back a couple hours later, and it's, you know, it's it's huge, and just seeing that grow, and understanding the biology that they're more familiar with mammals than with plants and stuff. So we have our stomachs on the inside, uh, mushrooms have their stomach on the outside. They're moving around, they're they're creating these like kind of similar to what look like neural networks and creating information highways, secreting their enzymes, enzymes to digest their environment around them and then sucking up their nutrients that they need. I mean, they're very adaptive. They can ad- you can train The mycelium to uh, be better able to digest certain substrates by you know introducing it uh, slowly to the the mycelium and and breeding it you know through generations of the mushroom to to be more apt to degrade uh, hydrocarbons and and other negative stuff in the environment you could kind of train it to do that amazing yeah I actually was making a science fair kit for students to uh, do exactly that. Uh, with uh, cigarette butts. So I'd provide, I have a YouTube uh, thing on it, and I'd provide like a clean plate of the uh, mycelium, and this is all one generation of it, and then a, a plate with a clean cigarette butt on it, you know, and 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 then some clean plates so they can grow, use the, the non-one without the cigarette butts as like a te- uh, control, and then, you know, teach the mycelium to start digesting clean cigarette butts and do that over a couple plates of growing it out. And then when you introduce it to try to degrade the dirty cigarette butts that you'd find in, in, on the streets and stuff, people throwing them around, uh, the, the mushroom will hopefully be more apt to be able to break down those cigarette butts. And actually, Peter has a video where he did pretty much the exact same thing, and it shows you know pretty conclusively like the mycelial growth on the one that we're trained on it. Was a lot uh, more aggressive. Too cool. So yeah, and you know, just a spiritual connection as well. You know, I mean, I mean, there's a whole other topic of of psilocybin and magic mushrooms. And you know, as a as a company, I've tried to stay away from getting into that discussion because you know we've had a financial service that want didn't want to release our funds because they said we were promoting and condoning illegal activity. Because I have oh some um, talks from Cat Harrison, Terrence McKenna's uh, wife, on how her and Terrence started or wrote their book in 1975 on, on psilocybin mushroom cultivation, and you know YouTube has already approved it, and uh, you know I don't. It, it's a historical and educational talk, and this financial company, you know, was like, oh, well, you know, your phone number is associated with that. And I was like, "Look at man, you know, we're not doing anything bad here. We're providing, you know, information. And because of your personal beliefs, you're denying us financial <laughs> our money. And uh, they paid us right away after that. So,
0: oh my God, what a hassle!
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, so like, you know, talking about that aspect of mushrooms, which I think is very important. I think I know that's you know, these compounds in in these mushrooms are amazing and. They have helped with depression, anxiety, terminal illness, uh, like just bringing you back to on a spiritual path, alcoholism and addiction. I mean, you know, both personally for me and for a lot of people that I've encountered uh, have had amazing, you know, spiritual and life-changing experiences on these on these compounds. And it's a travesty that they are scheduled as they are as a schedule one. But I mean, I think the tide is changing in this country. And we see that in places like Denver, where it's now decriminalized. Oakland, Berkeley, Mm -hmm. I think is getting something on there. Um, And uh, I mean, OAC has talked about it in New York. And these like other, you know, psilocybin and other ethnogens are, I hope, going to hopefully kind of go the way as cannabis has in in a lot of places in this country.
0: seems inevitable to me. And I'm really excited about that too. It keeps coming up in conversation and it's definitely becoming mainstream. So, but I actually have a theory that all uh, mushrooms have some sort of psychoactive effect. So, I mean, obviously certain mushrooms are really helpful as no tropics in our brain, yeah. but a lot of people who are super involved in the, in mycology, I think that their bodies have some sort of symbiosis that's happening and it may not be exactly visible, but it's it's like they're inoculated with it. Totally.
1: You know, that speaking to that with a lot of like these medicinal herbs that we use, like we're finding out that some of these are not necessarily the properties of the herbs, but these, uh, you know, endo actually are these fungi are growing within and around the cell walls of these plants and that that mycelium and fungi in there are the ones that are actually producing these medicinal benefits. And so, you know, I cannot fathom that there is not some sort of, you know, symbiotic relationship between humans and mushrooms in that we might not even have realized yet. Like, you know, people eat a lot of mushrooms and stuff and are constantly around it, I mean, yeah, their their bodies are taking it in. And who knows, uh, besides the seeable benefits, like what else is really helping there in in the mind and neural pathways in the way we think our spirituality, you know?
0: Yeah, mainly, I, I see the way people think the mycologists that I know who are very involved as activists, we're more involved with an optimistic solution to problems. So I mean, we can see what we can see. But maybe it is going to have a huge, huge impact on the cultural shift that is happening. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, uh, again, you know, like observe nature and copy it. And, you know, mushrooms, you know, send out, I mean, they, the, the, how the mycelium grows has been equated to how the internet works, like information transfer systems and highways, you know, and there's so many analogies that you can make with how You know, these mushrooms are growing uh, to other areas and other aspects of our society, our social structure, you know, how we deal and think about overcoming problems. I'm kind of working on a talk I want to do called Social Mycelium, and it's kind of looking out like, you know, spreading our network through like what social media has become. You know, and, and, and each creating all these little nodes of the people we meet and interact with and how they can, you know, help connect us to other people, networking, you know, and using mycelium as an analogy of that.
0: Yeah, it's perfect.
1: Since I've become involved with fungi, like, you know, and had them really become a major part of my life, like, you know, I've found a lot of, you know, spiritual awakening and just kind of social Ways that I look at it, try to look at it through the lens of fungi and how I know the mushroom, you know, fungi are growing and how they work, you know, and trying to adapt it to my life and outlook. I just, you know, want to encourage anyone to that wants to get into fungi, especially growing them. You know, that's more my forte is like cultivation. Like I really try to keep it simple and think about easy ways that you can incorporate it into your farm, to your life, your health, eating them and uh you know there's the technology and, and the hacks and all the things that you know these people's just doing it in their you know backyards and in their closets making little clean rooms and stuff and there there are a lot of simple ways to do that now and it's not like you need a big huge lab and all the stuff that you kind of did in the past to do it spawn is so readily available there's a lot of great companies that produce and you can get, you know, all sorts of different kinds of species now, including that into your farm or something, can have a lot of financial benefits too, you know. I love to see people that are in mycology finding ways to create financial prosperity for themselves while doing what they love. And, you know, like I said, William Padilla Brown, Mycosymbiotics is like a perfect example. And like us, what we're doing, we wanted mm-hmm. to be a farm and We, you know, we're trying out different things. Um, I think there's kind of an 80-20 principle where you're going to find like 20% of what you do or produce is going to create like 80% of, you know, your income or your financial prosperity. And we found that in food. My brother and business partner who started the, you know, the companies with me, um, he's been a chef for 16 years. So it was kind of natural for us to combine our, each of our skills and really, produce an amazing product like our, our shroom snack mushroom jerky, Uh Um, you know, and, and all the products we have uh, in line, you know, concept phase right now, I'm, I'm looking at like pure mycelium product that, you know, we could use any kind of mycelium on and, and incorporating that into like a snack food, because I mean, you know, us as a society here in America, and most of the world is really moving to the, this on the go kind of snacking culture alternative protein which mushrooms are such a
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: a staple of
0: yeah it seems like a protein bar that's like timeless we'll never stop being important to be americans it, at least.
1: absolutely and if we could do that with like the best you know, superfoods and grains which mushrooms are growing on you know we've we've looked into and worked with many of the there's so many awesome breweries around here using spent brewer's grains that's a great mm-hmm. way to again upcycle a waste product to be able to, you know, make a, a really amazing product. So seeing like people that are are looking for ways to create you know, because we have to have some financial stability to, in our own personal lives, to kind of be able to do some of the more amazing things that we want to do that don't really generate income. And it's such a, a shame that, we, you know, our culture is so focused on money, money, money and, and getting that however you can, you know, but it ends up, you, you're doing stuff you don't love and you don't want to do. And that's not good for you, good for your family, good for anybody, your, your community you know, and if you could find some way to be able to be financially stable, and and be able to live without struggling every day and working eight jobs and that you don't love, you know, I mean, that's what I want to encourage with people. That's what I want from my own life, and and for you know my my son, my my brother, and his family, and so you know, really, there's so many things that that you can do, and we also do a lot of education on business building, and starting a food business. And just, it can be crazy to try to navigate the rules and regulations of doing all that. So what we'd like to do in the future, maybe in like five years or so, when we outgrow our facility and Used it to develop a lot of our other products is doing more consulting and, and helping other new startups and food businesses in kind of an accelerator or, you know, incubator situation where they'd have access to the kitchen and then on also all the like business resources.
0: That's so great.
1: You know, there's a lot of other programs like that around now. We actually went through an accelerator program um, in last year in New York called food future co. And, and really, you know, I mean, I think, you're either going to pay for things two ways. You're either going to pay, pay for it by making mistakes and learning, or you're going to pay money to have, to learn from someone who's already made those mistakes, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, if you can't afford it or have the resources to do the latter, then I always suggest that because sometimes making mistakes have a lot longer impact than, you know, spending the money to learn how to do it properly.
0: Yeah. But by the time that you're done making the mistakes, you're probably burned out. Too. Yeah.
1: You know, and, And that's a big one, you know, in, in every, in, in starting a small business, especially man, you know, like right now it's still my brother and I, we're, we're entering our third year. We've been really entertaining and talking with investors and, you know, we're about to get some money and, and that's great. But, uh, you know, you got to remember all this stuff, takes time, it takes dedication. And if you could build a team. You know, that's the most important. And I'm looking for team members right now. And I, I want to find the right people that, you know, enjoy, want to enjoy what they do and have a passion for, you know, making a healthy product and a passion for mycology and for food and and, and help support them. And if we all support each other and make this a win-win, you know, we're going to be all happier. Everyone is. And no one's going to be without.
0: I agree. That's the new economy. That's totally. Awesome. And,
1: and people want that because a lot of people are lost. I've been lost for a long time. I, a lot of people I know are, and they want to find something that's that feels good, and not just feel like we're just paying the bills every month. You know, I
0: mean, but also people they don't want to buy it. They don't want to be buying into the fatalistic worldview that has been kind of preached over and over lately. So you know, a lot of people, at least listening to this podcast, they are in any way. Some of them are like full on homesteading and looking for total self-sufficiency. Others are just doing some small uh, hobby, you know, in their yard or just interested in the subject matter. But all of that is related, you know, as far as a sense of purpose. Yes,
1: absolutely. It gives you, you know, having a sense of purpose, being in service to something, a bigger idea, you know, a, a cause, it can be very guiding and, and helpful for, for people. And, you know, it has been for me and, you know, and, and even just starting out as a hobby and testing it out, you know, because. I think it's important to try a lot of different things and not be so set on one idea or one like paradigm, but to try different things. And you might find that, you know, you you end up focusing on something that you never even intended to start out as like we did, you know? I mean, we wanted Mm -hmm. to be that mushroom farm and producer and and now we're primarily like a food company. And I think it's great. It's definitely different than what I thought, but it's going to be able to provide us with, the financial prosperity to eventually do what of our bigger goals are. You know, I, I want to really create, we have 15 acres in the woods, uh, up in, in the redwoods of Sonoma County. You know, this was my great grandfather's property. My father, you know, mm-hmm. developed it and built our house. I built my house on here. My brother and his family were living here. And this is, I eventually want to build this into kind of a, a permaculture, based farm with an emphasis on fungi I think fungi are kind of closed that permaculture loop from you know soil building and 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 composting and making new soils and also using the agricultural waste on your farm to be able to reproduce another uh, product you know and luckily we're in such a, a an amazing place in Sonoma County where we have the resources of some really great people and other programs like the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, which is right down the road from us. Eric Olson and the Permaculture Skills Center um, is right in Sebastopol. So, you know, those are two organizations I've worked with and, you, you know, I, I have them to, you know, bounce ideas off of and see what they're doing and learn and teach and it's, it's
0: great. Thanks for listening. If you like the show and want to see pictures of my podcasting adventures and announcements about upcoming interviews, follow on Instagram at getinmygarden and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen from. Also, comment on my posts or send me a direct message to let me know what you're personally working on. If you've benefited from the show, the information and guests I featured, you can visit my website getinmygarden.com and sign up for my new email list, which will soon be a place where I can offer awesome freebies and supplemental content and it will include favorite articles I've shared with my close friends, research and information I feel you would enjoy learning about that fits with the mission of this podcast, which is to inspire and connect people who are focused on making conscious decisions about how to live their lives in a healthy and meaningful way based on the knowledge given to us by previous generations who were so in tune with the earth, and also by the bright minds in the science and technology fields that inspire our future. I hope the Get In My Garden podcast has inspired you to continue your learning, to continue your holistic hobbies, your projects and businesses related to natural farming, hydro or aquaponics, bees, fungi, soil in the soil food web, microbes, plants, and however you are involved in entertaining yourself in a way that benefits the earth and our future. Stay tuned over the next few weeks as new episodes are planned with a backyard urban homesteader and also a brilliant engineer who has created a modified soil and aquaponics system that withstands extreme temperatures in his desert environment.